a counseling faculty at Kent State University and a host for Circular Firing Squad. We've got four members tonight, little short staff, four questions, and four answers for each question. Questions are generated by each squad member and run from the ridiculous to the serious. Let's do roll call. Hi, everyone. Eric Perry. I am the Director of Counseling Programs at SNHU. Hi, everyone. Elliot Ingersoll. I'm a professor of counseling at Cleveland State University and host of Apply Topically. Hey, everyone. Jen Cook, associate professor, New England College. I get the first question tonight. If you could teach any course on any subject, what would you like to teach? And this is irrespective of if you actually know anything about it or if it's in your counseling curriculum. I'm just curious about sort of where your hidden talents are or you think they might be that you would like to have fun and enjoy teaching a course on? Uh, this is a tough one for me, I think. Um, I, I really enjoyed chemistry. I was a chem major when I started undergrad, believe it or not. Um, I took some criminal justice courses. I took chem. Um, really enjoyed kind of the formulaic mathematical part of chemistry. Um and I still think that's something I would enjoy. I like that. I, I teach a lot of research and assessment now. Um, it seems like it fits well. And there's exciting things that go with chemistry, right? I always find like it's, it's more of a challenge in counselor ed to bring that to some of the topics like research and assessment. Sometimes you got to work a little harder. But chemistry, you can, you know, set stuff on fire, right? And, and make your point. So, I mean, so some of that's exciting. I feel like you know, that's definitely something I could do or, or would be a lot of fun. I think I think for me, the, the, the class would be called Music as Fuel. And it's all the different ways people can crank themselves up with music. And there'd be some choreography, some songs you just absolutely have to dance to. I had, uh, what was that, George Harrison's rendition of Got My Mind Set on You playing when I was cooking the night. I was jamming. I had the, I had the colander and the spoon, you know, a little guitar and Anyway, I think that would be a blast. And it would also, I think, kind of looking at the psychology of how music affects physiology and then gets people moving for things. I would love to do that. Well, I have two. And these are both things that I know how to do. I mean, I've got kind of this, you know, I, I talked last time in, a, in our recording about wanting to work for the NTSB. So, like, if I could do something, you know, like engineering wise, but I have no training in that. But two things that I love to do that I would love to teach more people how to do. One is to cook. All these folks out there who think they can't cook, that they have to order takeout all the time. And simultaneously, the financial connection with that, because so many people are, you know, they're struggling with money, right? And so I, I would love to just help people to figure out and know and have the confidence to be able to open up their fridge or their pantry or whatever they have in there and be able to fix something that's pretty delicious and not a lot of money. The other thing that I love doing, and I haven't done this in a really long time, but back in my last life in a different job, um, I would often end up teaching the kids in my church how to drive. And I love teaching people how to drive especially how to drive a manual transmission. Now I understand that in us, this is, a completely um, useless teaching tool at this point in time, because now they're not even making manual transmission cars. 
Um, however, I think it's a very useful skill and everyone should still learn how to do it, but I'm really good at it. And think that I, I love teaching people how to do these kind of useful things and, and seeing the looks on their faces. And that's probably why I like teaching counselor ed, because, you know, you get to see those aha moments and people get excited when they feel confident and master something. I used to love manual transmissions. Um, I, I would burn through clutch plates a lot driving them, but it really felt like driving. Um, and, you know, we're, we've all switched over to automatics. Um, I know it's hard to find them. Um, you know, this was a tough question for me as it was, I think, for Eric, uh, as he mentioned. You know, I, I first thing I thought of, well, uh, a course that's not taught in counselor ed that I think I would really enjoy teaching is technology application to teaching and practice of counselor education. That would get me in a place where I could be working with students uh, that and focusing on what and how they can use technology in their teaching roles. So that was low-hanging fruit for me. That was the first thing that came to mind. The second one that came to mind that probably shaped me, that probably would never make it into a counseling curriculum, was a course I took during my doctoral program in social work, because we had to do cognates in other areas. And it was uh, the psychodynamic uh, the psychodynamic history of counseling or something like that. But it was, it was going through all the psychodynamic theories and done in a very deep fashion. Um, so you got to appreciate what most authors nowadays just write off as crazy psychoanalytic stuff. Um, and so that one shaped me a lot in terms of my thinking around theory. And I, I appreciated that course completely out of the realm of counseling. Most influential course I ever took was invertebrate embryology. Um, uh, Eric was like a chemistry nerd. I was a biology nerd for a long period of time. Invertebrate embryology and why it impresses me so much, and I think I don't have the skills anymore, but it would be great to teach, was it was a course where over the course of a semester, three days a week, we met for 50 minutes, and the professor lectured for those 50 minutes, taking us from a sperm and an egg all the way to a completely formed human. And it's like the last class, we make it to the completely formed human. The exciting part of that class for me was I walked out of it on that last day and it was like, I know how it all happens now. You know, it's just not the secret anymore that happens inside somebody's womb. I know how it happens now. And a week later, I probably forgot half of it. But it was that moment of joy of knowing that whole developmental process of where fingernails come from and what tissue layers they originate from and how they shift through the tissue layers to all that kind of stuff made me view development in a whole different way. So that would be a course, if I could have that same kind of impact on students, I think it would be fun to teach too. All right. So the next question is mine and kind of keeping with the teaching theme. Do you try new things in the classroom or do you tend to stay pretty steady with how you teach? Oh, yeah, I'm always I'm always trying new things. And, and part of that's just I think, you know, have a like an ADHD brain. I'll be walking down the hall. I'm like, oh, I got an idea. We're going to do this tonight. And then I'll try it. I'll whip it out and I'll be like, yeah, I got I got a new idea and we're going to try it. And everyone kind of their, roll their eyes, but they'll go along with it. And I whip out the songs early in the course and we, we do sing-alongs in almost every course now. And so, like I say, I kind of hint around, if you don't want to try something new, 
Hey, we're going to do another sing along. So uh, I'm whipping that guitar out if you don't like this, uh, you know, role play thing that, that, that I came up with. But it's all good. We can sing. I Every time you speak, I'm like, oh, my gosh, Elliot's like my brother somewhere else in the world, because this will be me, too, is that I'm getting ready for class or I'm on my way to class and I think of something new that I want to try. And Sometimes it's not well-formed enough. And so I don't put it out there, especially when I was teaching really big classes. I teach much smaller classes now. So I could probably get away with it a little bit better on the fly. But when I was teaching, you know, 30, 40 people, I didn't have enough confidence to walk in and be like, okay, so I have this half-baked idea that I just came up with in the elevator on the way here. So I thought I would toss it out, you know? So I, I didn't do as much of it then. But I, I do switch it up pretty regularly, although I usually keep sort of my base in place because I'm not about re- reinventing the wheel, especially if I haven't changed textbooks or changed, you know, level of course or whatever the case may be that I, if the information is still relevant, I'm still going to use it. But, you know, case in point, a couple of weeks ago in my practicum course, I had them read through all of these strength-based skills or you know, strength-based assessment questions, um, wonderful appendix in Crescent Palo's clinical mental health textbook. And it's just pages and pages of different domains. And so I, I let them re, you know, read back through it. And I had we had done a case the last time we had been together. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to apply these to the case. And I'm just going to do these little two-minute role plays. And every person who goes has to do a different domain of strength-based assessment questions. You know, we kind of went round robin style. I'd never done anything quite like this in the past. And I I was getting a little nervous because I was looking at the looks on their faces and they were not filling it. They were like, oh, what are we doing? What cooks got us off on something, you know? And by the end of it, I mean, they nailed it. And they, I mean, they were, and they struggle with assessment. They've talked about, you know, we struggle with assessment and when to use it and how to, how to formulate it. And I teach two sections of practicum. So I had this opportunity to have, you know, two different test runs and they both did really well with it. But one of the students played this, played the, the client from the case and they could kind of play it to their to their own, um, you know, their own personality, but they, they had already worked with that client. So everybody had sort of a good sense of them. And it turned out to be a hoot. Like it was a real, at least for me, like to see them applying it quickly and being able to pull out the questions that most resonated with them from a strength-based perspective and to try it in a different way. So that was just something recently where I was like, yeah, this could be cool. We'll do like a round robin role play as opposed to, you know, 10 minute sessions, give them feedback type of thing. I got to say, there's a simple reason why I like to change things up, because I can't remember what I did the last time I taught that portion of the class. And so it's, you know, discovery learning for me every week when I'm preparing for class. Um, we have doc students who come in and and um, and join us in our teaching uh, and for some for the semester, some occasionally. I had one um, doc student who was really having trouble with spontaneity. And so I think they sent her to me. Uh, this was early on in my career. And we would be walking across campus to class or to the thing. And I said, you know, the thing we talked about uh, yesterday that we were going to do, I got a whole new thing I want to do instead. Let's try this. Um, and it would drive her nuts, but it also helped develop that flexibility in, in thinking. So even last week, I'm working with a doctoral student and we're struggling in group trying to teach group skills that have come from individual skills in counseling. 
And so I always frame them in the sense of an experiment. And I actually complimented the class after we did it saying, wow, you just taught me something new and some different way to teach this. And if I remember it, um, we'll, I'll be doing this again next semester. And we basically set up a co-leader or a leader with the skill, but they were not allowed to share with their group what the skill was. Then the group portrayed or, or talked about a particular question, uh, like, you know, what kinds of food do they like or not like and why? And they had to perform or engage that skill at some portion. And then the group had to eventually guess what the skill was and, and how the leader had performed it. Now, that might not be rocket science to folks. It might be something people do, but it was in the moment for us. And the class seemed to enjoy it. I asked the question because I, I had this experience as a TA for the first time. I came in nervous, anxious, excited. I was going to get my, my portion to teach. And I had already met with the faculty and taken a couple of his courses and was really excited to just try it. He handed me a stack of overheads and asked me to copy those, right? And that's what I'd be running my lecture from, were the overheads that he had. And, you know, as excited as I was, was this really kind of square peg, round hole kind of experience, you know? And I find myself a lot of the time getting, um, I don't know if it's angsty or needing to be creative, just to change things up, to look at things differently. Um, most of the time that's inspired, I think, by my students. And just by asking, what is it that you need? You know, what is it that, that would be helpful for you? What is going to make this real or applicable? Um, and that part really helps. And then, and then I can be creative about it. I, I think there's a tendency sometimes to get stuck in things that work or worked. And then having a sense that every group is different. You know, having taught some of the same courses multiple times, you start to see groups struggle with different things. There's always similarities. And some of that's the content and just some of the things that you do. But um, there's so much opportunity to be creative, particularly with what we teach. Um, that's part of what I really enjoy. So I, I, you know, I get bored. I get tired of doing the same things. I need to change. But I think the students inspire a lot of that, too. Um, so that's always fun for me. You know, the boring, the boring stuff I've already put on lectures and online. So it always forces me to come up with something different to do in the classroom. Now the classroom. And yeah, it gets harder every year, but it's, it's cool. But the creativity has changed. I mean, for those of us who have gone online and stayed online, I mean, Eric, I know you've spent a lot of time teaching online full time. You know, for me, having switched from classroom to online only right now has been a little bit of a switch because, you know, I can't really come carry my craft bag to class like I used to do. And, you know, because I've come up with some kind of creative, you know, art project I want them do to do during class that day, you know, and can't expect people to have materials. So I don't know about some of the rest of y'all, but I've had a little bit of a trouble with that switch of like where, you know, what creativity looks like in the online environment as opposed to the in-person. It's a different way of thinking, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I shared that I got so desperate when I was teaching remote, I had my, my ventriloquist dummy, Carl, doing the lectures with me. And that was the only thing that kept me sane. We were riffing back and forth, you know, and bada boom, psh, I had a little snare drum on the, and it, it worked, but it was a little bit out there. Well, I, th I think it takes that type of creativity, particularly on, right? And you have to think of ways to simulate some of the things that you do on ground, uh, you know, particularly with, with practices and, you know, the technologies that you leverage are really important, you know, to do some of those same types of things. So, you know, it's, I spent a lot of time on that. I also like the creative end. I like all the media and, 
um, you know, gamification. I do a lot of that with Adobe Captivate and, you know, different programs like that. So I get like the, the artistic part of it too that I get to bring, but it's, it's just different. It's digital. It's weird. It's strange, but you know, a lot of it is fun and exciting too. And some of it's neat. I just want to put that out there too, of like, you know, when I have students who are doing, um, you know, client sessions with one another during class in which we're all off camera and just the two people who are in the role player doing the session and we're all kind of sneaking in the back and I've told them they can't problem solve and the counselor starts problem solving. I can do like a bug in the eye kind of thing using the chat in Zoom, sending it just to the student who's counselor and saying, you're problem solving. If we were in person, I'd be like, <clears throat> you know, and I would make a noise and say, stop your problem solving. You know, I'd have to really disrupt the session hardcore. So it kind of reminds me of some of those skills we did during live supervision back when in my training and when I was training as a doc student. All right. I think I am up next. And my question is, what is one of your favorite Halloween costumes? Okay. So I'm laughing because full disclosure, I always suck at Halloween costumes because I forget Halloween's coming. And most of the time I forget that I'm going to need a costume. So I'm not the one who's like ordered the, you know, Wonder Woman, you know, cape and leotard ahead of time, six weeks so that I can like go in wearing something that's presentable. So none of my costumes, I would say, are anything that are all that memorable and fantastic. But I had a roommate one time and she had the best costume that I've ever seen in my life. And here's what it was. She comes out and she's wearing a knee length slip that you would wear underneath a dress, like a black slip. And she takes a sign and hangs it around her neck. And it just read Freudian. That's the best costume ever. All right. I'm not a big Halloween person. Uh, you know, next to this one costume I'm about to tell you about, uh, it's probably the only costume that I could remember uh, really ever putting together. And I, I kind of avoided the whole costume thing. When I was a kid, you know, it's a sweatshirt with uh, sponges put under your shoulder blades so or shoulders with a football helmet and uh, ash under your eyes so you could be a football player. But this occurred my college days. I got a combination of things that I thought were just weird. I got, I want to say a kimono, but it's not a full kimono. It was only like a top half kimono, and it tied. It looked more ninja-ish than it looked kimono, but it was very colorful. And um I spiked up my hair, which was not hard to do because it was mullet season um, at that time. So I was able to do that. And I broke uh, safety pins and put them through my nose and uh, through my ears and uh, had a sword. I don't know where the hell I got the sword, but I was punk ninja. And I was going to a party with a girl that I knew had not spent much time with her. She was very kind of quiet, but we were going to go to this party together. And I showed up and she had a straw hat on with little uh, metal stars and moons hanging around the rim. And she had rainbows painted on her cheek and she had a denim shirt. And I looked at her and I said, okay, so I'm punk ninja. Who are you? And she said, I'm tripping. And not only was she in a costume tripping, she also was tripping. Um, so it made for an, an interesting evening. That's my one heroic attempt at Halloween costumes. 
Oh, please remind me to tell you about my uncle, Bud. it was not his name. That was just his two favorite things. Right. Sounds similar. I mean, Bud just stuck. Anyway. Um, so my, it's maybe a weird segue, I guess, coming off of uncle Bud. I had a, an astronaut costume when I was I don't know, nine or 10 and it was really bad. Like, I mean, it was, it had to be less than $10. It was like on sale, off the rack. It had like a pullover helmet that nobody could breathe through. Um, shiny, like just sprayed with glitter and like two patches on the sleeves. Um, but I, I've always been into like space and, and science and it's always been something I've been interested in. And a couple of years ago, my daughter decided that she wanted to go as an astronaut. Now, she had never seen the picture before when we never really had the conversation that I recall. But my mother was able to unearth it because she keeps everything. She was unable to just able to uh, find the costume itself. So my daughter went as an astronaut around the same age I did. Um, it was just one of those really like surreal kind of experiences to see her doing something that I did and to be really excited about it. Because for me at the time, it wasn't cheap, homely looking as it was taking a look at the picture now. It was really exciting. It was something that I wanted to be. I was, I was all about being an astronaut. And then she did the same thing. So I got to have this experience of walking her around in that astronaut costume that I had wore at the same period of time. And there's almost no real good words to describe that kind of feeling. So whenever I think about Halloween costumes, it's always the first thing that comes up for me. I still have the picture on my phone and have not been able to take it off as my background for years now because it makes me feel good every time I see it. That is cool. That's great. I, for me, it was what I intended was a cross-dressing vampire. This was in a clean-shaven period. And I had a lot of help, a lot of help. And, you know, got all worked up. And it was kind of a black, cloaky thing. And we were out at a club. And I was dancing with a friend of mine. And he was dressed as a priest. And we won some weird contest. I didn't even know there was one. But they kept saying, the priest and the nun have won. And I'm like, nuns don't have fangs, like... Um, yeah, I got fishnets on. Nuns don't wear fishnets. And he's like, no, nah, that's fine. It's cool. I was like, okay. So, I, you know, there was a lot of misunderstanding around it, but I still thought it was a great night and it was a fun costume to, to, to do. Jen has the difficult job of uh, shifting the energy here to, to go back to somewhat of a more serious topic. Yeah, I was sitting over here thinking, like, can I change my question? Um, but it's it's a good question. It let us, let us move on to thinking about the days in which we went to conferences. On average, how many conference sessions do you attend outside of the ones that you present? I will search the uh, program to find any, any topics that particularly hit areas that I'm interested in, which will be mostly technology-based or applications of technology in the field. And there are very few of them. So unless it's someone I know who's doing, like if Eric was doing something on technology, I would show up whether I knew about it or not, um, just to hear how he speaks about it in terms of teaching or practice. Um, but it's, it's hard for me with kind of what I do from a niche standpoint to find a topic that excites me. Um, so, so I would say very few, and sometimes they're random when I select them. 
And it's sometimes it's based on the time that I have. I really use conferences for connecting with people. I'd rather be out in the lobby talking to folks uh, than sitting in a presentation because I feel I need to be there. Five. No, I I just, I'm kidding. For me, it really depends on who I go with. And and I know that probably isn't the best thing to say about a professional conference where you're supposed to be learning. Um, But it does. It depends on who I go with. So I I think I traveled a lot with the same conference partner. Like we went to almost every conference together for a long period of time. Um, So we would get each other excited about things that we wanted each other to see. So then we could talk about it. And that always made things better, right? So we, we would go through the schedule together. We'd be like, I want to see this. You don't want to go. That's fine. But let's meet up for these. Um, so that always encouraged me to go to more. And that would be fun and exciting. Um, but I kind of feel the same way Marty does. I think it does depend on the conference, too, and the material. Um, you know, if I'm, I'm looking for instructional methods or I'm looking for, you know, something that uh, pedagogical and that's what I want to go for, um, I'm really going to hone in on that. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time sitting around hearing something I probably have already heard or, you know what I mean? I come to that, the, those conferences for those novel experiences. Um, so I really try to seek those out. If not, I'd rather be doing the same. Like Marty said, socializing, catching up. Our field is kind of niche, you know, and, and we don't see each other a whole lot, especially the last couple of years. Um, so that's always a fun and exciting part. And I'll be honest, I, I take the opportunity to skip and chat and see folks. Yeah, Eric kind of took my answer, but, you know, I I thought about this developmentally, and I know when I started out, easily 15, I mean, easily, and now, especially at ACES, I mean, ACES is actually a conference I really enjoy, and yeah, I really want to just connect with people, and I want to hang out, Um, so I think, yeah, I, I probably go to five or six, and often it's junior faculty or it's students not necessarily just my students, but students from somewhere that are doing something I'm interested in. Um, but yeah, that 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 whole sitting still and oh my gosh, why do they put the chairs so close together? It's like, you know, you, like we're going to have to link arms and break through the wall if something bad happens. I don't understand why the chairs are so close together. And the older I get, I want to sit cross-legged because my back hurts. And I'm like, oh, or I could just have a long lunch and hang out, you know, with Marty or someone. And I'm like, yeah, I so... I don't go to as many as I used to. And I, I think we should probably be changing up how we're doing conferences. I think they should have a parody category where you're parodying something about the field or about theories. You know, that would be fun. Or you could do one act play category where you're going to enact some, I don't know, thing you'd like to see happen in the profession. That would be that would be great. I would love that. I'd go to more. You know how I feel about musicals and and I would go. Right? I would I would be there. <laughs> Okay, I know what I'm presenting at ACES next time. One hundred percent. There needs to be some difference, and I, I'm down with that. You, let's let's kind of let's create our own conference because that would be awesome. One thing I noticed for me is there's a direct uh, inverse relationship if I uh, to the number of people I know at a conference. So the number of people I know decreases the number of sessions I attend. Um, so for example, I went to this, um, this, it was a, it was on economy. It was an economics conference put on by the, about poverty and the federal government. I went to that, of course, like I knew nobody there. I went to every session. I mean, you know, because I'm like, wow, this is cool. And it was out of my, you know, it was something different, you know, and everyone, I had 
everyone knows I research social class and socioeconomic status. So it was, and they were getting into the deep topics related to that. It was really, it was really cool. Um, but you know, you put me in ACA, ACEs, whatever, put something, put me in our profession and wow, <laughs> in terms of, oh, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. Let's go to the Space Needle. Let's go to, I almost said Rikers Island. No, what's the place off of San Francisco? Alcatraz. <laughs> let's go get dim sum. The, let's Eric, get you dim and I would get dim sum. Yep. Go to the cannabis shop, all that. Whatever. Oh, right? well. Whatever. I don't have any of those stories, but my roommate did in Seattle and, oh, that was special. Um, so yeah, I see that as an inverse relationship. The more people I know, the less sessions I go to, but I do have two friends who will, I'll run into them in the hallway of them rushing off to something. And I'm like, Hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? Got to get my CEs. And they are trucking it to get their CEs. They are so afraid of getting audited that they are running around grabbing their CEs. And I appreciate that. And I, get my CEs too, to the best of my ability. But most of the time now that we're, you know, in the COVID world, I'm collecting them online. So I'm going to tell you, if we get back together in person, I'm going to be getting together in person, y'all. I don't, uh, yeah. Well, therein is our last question with a short stack of people here, but I have one final shot question. What are you watching now? Wheel of Time on Netflix. Oh no, Amazon. Wheel of Time on Amazon. I'm on a Jordan Peterson tear because we're starting our Jordan Peterson discussion group on Wednesday. I suspect there will be lots of conflict, but I've immersed myself in a lot of his stuff and it's been fascinating. I just finished watching the Olympics because I really like the Olympics and I know there's problems with them in China and blah, 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 but I still watch the Olympics every single night. And shamefully, I'm rewatching Gilmore Girls right now. I hate to admit that to our six listeners, but I'm rewatching Gilmore Girls. Hey, six listeners. You should you should feel a lot more shame about uh, about Gilmore Girls than six listeners. Let me just say that Um, right now. uh, I've been chatting with you folks about watching a lot of British uh, comedy shows, game shows and things like that. Um, and I got overwhelmed with that. So I, I tried Peacemaker, which is on HBO, and it's a derivative from the Suicide Squad movies uh, by James Gunn. It is wild. Uh, John Cena is the peacemaker in this, and he's teamed up with a group. Um, you don't have to see the Suicide Squad movies to appreciate it, but there's some really risky stuff in there. And then there's a lot of, oh, what was that? Uh, Sort of X-File-ish kind of stuff. So that's, I've just watched three of the first uh, season and I'm hooked. Well, thanks to the squad, Jen, Elliot, and Eric. Look for some of these characters on their own podcasts on the podtalk.net. You can find out more about them on circularfiringsquad.net. Our theme music is from Menage Quad, Real Swing Chet. That's it for this episode of Circular Firing Squad. Ready, fire, aim. <laughs>